Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Don't panic. Don't panic. Jason Whitlock, I'm here. It's my voice you're hearing. But you're looking at a man that if you have ever loved the NBA, if you've ever followed the NBA, you recognize that face. Now, he's been on a milk carton, and no one knows where he's been. After 36 years of service as one of the top NBA referees of all time, he has more service than every NBA referee, I think, except for Dick Bavetta and, and Joey Crawford, who have both retired. The man you're looking at, Ken Maurer, 36 years of service, run out of the NBA this season by Adam Silver, the vaccine mandates, and all of this COVID nonsense we've had going on in America. Welcome Ken Maurer to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. Welcome to a very special edition of Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Happy Tuesday to you and yours. We have one guest and one guest only uh, because no one's heard Ken Maurer's story. Ken Maurer is right there with Dick Pavetta, Joey Crawford, a man who has spent the majority of his life refereeing high-profile NBA basketball games, and somehow this year, poof, Ken Maurer disappeared. And no one has said a word about it. No one in the media has tracked it. Hey, what happened to that guy? that was with our league for 36 years, right there with Joey Crawford and Dick Pavetta. He just disappeared, not working this season. No one in the media asking a question. No, it's, it's not a, it's an open secret in the NBA what happened to Ken Maurer and what has happened to other NBA referees who either initially uh, declined the vaccine some of them folded, but not Ken Maurer. Uh, Ken, thank you uh, for joining us here in Nashville. And I want to help share your story because there's a lot of things we can talk about what's going on in the NBA. But first and foremost, I, I, I would like to know, you know, what have you been doing uh, <laughs> this year? I, you would still, I know you're, you're 66, even though you look 46. Thank you. Uh, but what have you been doing this year, and, and what, what happened? Why did you get run out of the league? Well, first of all, thanks, Jason, for having me. I, I appreciate it. Um, always been a big fan of yours. But uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it can't be explained in a short amount of time. You're right. Uh, I've, um, 
I've been working out a lot. I've been uh, riding a bike a lot. I've been, um, I've actually been in the weight room a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly, you know, not a weightlifter or anything like that, but I've been trying to stay in shape. And um, yeah, it's true since, uh, you know, I, I, I'll try to explain it as best I can why I'm in the situation I'm in, but basically as a, you know, I, I guess I never thought that my faith in our Lord Jesus Christ would uh, prevent me or stop me or get in the way of me refereeing NBA basketball games. And that's, that's, uh, that's about it in a nutshell. And that's what's happened. And um, not to just me, but other people. Um, we were uh, you know, offered a one-year contract at the beginning of this season. Um, our union, our executive board came to us, came to the staff with a one-year contract. But in that one-year contract, we had to mandate or, or, or the league was requesting that we mandate all of us taking the vaccine. And um, it was a shock to, to all of us or to a lot of us because last year, um, through a, a, a much more difficult time, um, you know, even through the bubble, uh, referees were given the option to either take the vaccine or you could test. Last year, Jason, I, was, I tested four times on game days. Four times? Each game day you tested four times? Four times. Um, because I had chosen not to take the vaccine. And back then, uh, we, the, the booster wasn't in play yet. But, um, you know, off days we'd, we'd test. Um, at home we'd test. But on game days, I would literally test as many as four times on game days. And because you wanted to or because the league required that? Really, the league mandated it. And, gotcha. And, and really, you know, I understood the position they were in. Nobody knew anything about this so-called uh, pandemic and nobody knew anything. And, and I'm very non-political. I don't get politically involved. But, but the NBA just, this is what they felt they had to be doing. They were being advised by different doctors and stuff like that. So you know what? I, I work for my employer. My employer wants me to test. I'll test. Because I was, you know, adamant through my faith that I would, I would never take this, this vaccine. So I was okay with testing. And so all last year, um, myself and several of us, we tested. And um, I never... I never had a problem with, 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 the, with, the, with the COVID, none, none whatsoever. And then we finished the season, went through all the playoffs. And then um, through the summer months, uh, you know, uh, I'm not, not here to speak for Adam. Um, I have a lot of respect for Adam. But for whatever reason, he changed his stance on, on a lot. Adam of, Silver. Adam Silver um, at one time felt that we all could, you know, he was never going to mandate it. He was going to allow, us <clears throat> allow people to, <clears throat> that, was a, that was a decision that each person could make. It was our civil liberties that he didn't want to infringe on. So that was, the, that was the stance he took. For whatever reason, he and the NBA changed. And going into this season, it was mandated that you take the vaccine or you would not be allowed to referee in the NBA. So why would the referees be treated different from the players? It's not mandated for the players. Why would it be mandated for the referees? I don't know. And that's a question I know our, our union asked. I know our union representatives asked. I know every referee's asked that. And um, they, wanted, they wanted everybody to take the vaccine. But, and I don't know why, with, I, I have a lot of respect for the Players Association. I'm glad that they made it, made it a personal choice. I know most of them have, but I know a lot of them didn't want to. Let's make it very clear here that a lot of the players didn't want to and a lot of the referees didn't want to. And so, uh, but the NBA, you're gonna have to ask them. Um, I have not had any contact with them whatsoever since last September, October, they have never, um, I have hired an attorney as a few of us have, and I'll get into that too, what happened with that situation. But um, I hired an attorney to basically represent my, my rights. And uh, so I'm filing an appeal with the EOC that's coming up in the next 60 days. But 
it's been very frustrating for for me and my wife and my family and 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 um, you know I'm uh, I just I, I can't explain it. I went from 25 year 25 days on the road to you know being home every day. So your initial question was very well well it was well received in that I I really don't know how to answer it in that I I'm bored. I get bored to death because I I. Um, I, you know, when you've been doing something for 43 years with the NBA, you, it's something you, you love to do, and it's, just, it's part of you. So it was very difficult to, to go from 25 days on the road to doing nothing and seeing your comrades work in games and stuff like that, and, you're, and you're, not, you're not doing anything. And so 36 years as an NBA ref, I think you just said 43 years of service. What was- well, it, initially I, I, got, uh, I went to uh, camps around the country, so when I was 24 years old, I got hired to work the CBA, which was the old Eastern League, which was directly affiliated with the, the NBA. Always yep. has been. Now it's now it's called the G League, and so I worked in I worked six years in the in the um, minor leagues, and then was hired in in uh, 1986 um, to work in the NBA. So I, I you know yeah, if you want to say 37, 43, whatever, there were six years in the minors, and now there's been 36 in the NBA. So you go into this year with 36 years of service. I believe the next person. Uh, close to you in service didn't have quite 30 years. I think you're right. I, I'm, I was trying to think that coming over here today, and uh, I know Billy Spooner, a good friend of mine, a great guy. Billy just retired, and I think Billy was approaching, I, I think Billy might have had, I'm not sure, 30, 31, 32, whatever. And then the next man to him, man or woman to him, was, um, I, I don't know if anybody's got 30, maybe 28, 29. I know Michael Smith has... He might have 29 or 30 in. He might be the next one. And so you're associated with the NBA for 36 years. We went to dinner last night. I saw people uh, come up to you, instantly recognize your face, associate you with the NBA. Again, Dick Clavetta, Joey Crawford. Joey Crawford was kind of controversial, so everybody knew uh, Joey Crawford. Dick Pavetta refed until age 72. Uh, great friends with Charles Barkley. Everybody ref- But 36 years of service, no one from the NBA, you just vanished from the league, and Adam Silver, people around the league aren't reaching out to you, concerned, trying to talk you into changing your mind, or just any... Re- I'm kind of amazed that all the people that cover the NBA and have covered it for a long time, I don't understand why your story isn't out there. I, I get that the players and Kyrie Irving and his story and, and Andrew Wiggins and his initial uh, refusal, to, I, I get that the players are bigger names. But you got 36 years. You're as associated with the NBA as anybody. I'm, I'm, why are you being ignored by the NBA media? I, I don't know. I don't know if it's totally being ignored. First of all, we as referees have always been kind of disin- have been told to not have as much, you know, not talk to the media. And even when I was working and employed by them, they'd want you to go through referee ops, even if you were to answer a question after a game concerning a player or whatever. And I understand all that. I, I think that's, that's, that's the way it should be. But uh, I don't know that the media knows. I mean, I've, I've never been one to actually reach out to the media a lot, and none of us have, really. Um, but I'm very friendly with a lot of people with, within our so-called family. But um, I don't know if they just don't see me, you know. Uh, you know, they just, if, if they don't see you, they, they don't know. Well, Kenny, maybe he hasn't just 
Maybe he just hasn't come here this year in different, different arenas. I really don't know um, why they haven't. Um, maybe they don't feel it's a story. I don't know. But I, I, think, um, I think all of this is a story. I think all of this is there's a reason for all of this. And, uh, and I'm, 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 you know, I'm certainly not afraid to be able to tell you and any that want to listen, you know, what's going on and why it's going on. And, uh, um, you know, I, I think it's a shame. I think it's a well, I think it's a shame for several reasons, but, you know, I, I would not have hesitated to talk to them. I would have been, have been very professional, but I would have, uh, I'm not here to blame anybody, but I, uh, I think, uh, it, it, you know, it could have been handled differently. A mutual friend connected us. Uh, why are you speaking out today? Why are you comfortable now talking about what has happened to you? Well, first of all, I'm comfortable with you. And that's, I'm not blowing smoke or anything like that. I'm comfortable with you. Um, I, I, I really believe that the, the, the real message will, will get out. And um, it's not that I have, I have never not been willing to talk. I mean, I'm, I, your freedom of speech, you're allowed to be able to say what, 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 what's, what's happened. I'm not ashamed of what I'm doing. In fact, I'm very proud of what I'm doing. I'm, I'm very proud of, of, of my faith. I'm very proud. And, and the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing, I think people have to hear that because I think a lot of what I'm, I'm, I'm no different, Jason, than, than the truck driver, than the, the school teacher, than the healthcare worker, than the, the, the person working construction, whatever, that, that they, that they don't, they don't either medically or, or, or religiously don't feel like taking the vaccine. And now they're being forced to, or else they're going to lose their job. And I think that's a shame. And, I, and there's, there's many referees that didn't want to take the vaccine. And there's many referees that were forced to because they have children, they have families, and they have bills to pay. And, and um, you know, I'm not going to get into the NBA and their position. You'll have to talk to them. I'm not here to even talk negatively about the NBA, but because that's not why I'm here. I'm here to say that there's a lot of people that didn't want to take this in the NBA that you call it whatever you want, coerced, forced. And now they're taking it. And now there's boosters. And now there's and they're scared. And, and, and I'm not, and because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to ever take that, and I, for that, for reasons that I will, we will get into. And um, I've always been willing to explain it to people, but um, some people just don't know to ask. Some people don't want to hear the truth, and uh, some people are afraid of the truth. And, uh, but I would, be able, I would like to explain it to anybody because um, I'm proud of what a lot of the referees were standing for and, and what uh, Mark Ayotte is the other referee now that's appealing it to the... Mark who? Mark Ayotte, A-Y-O-T-T-E. Mark is a, a good friend of mine, hell of a guy, family man, good referee. He's a... But he, Mark is he's from Phoenix, Arizona. He's also one... Uh, he's, it started with, and I'll get into it, it started with like 19 guys, uh, men and women. And then it went down to 17. 17 voted against the mandate. And then it went to, there were eight or nine of us that were, we actually went and hired our own attorney because we didn't like the procedure that was set up through the union and the NBA. We didn't like, and we'll get into that, um, and, it, and for good reason. Um, and so there's eight or nine of us. Well, then they denied all of our religious exemptions. To the best of my knowledge, there isn't an NBA employee that's been granted a religious or medical exemption, to the best of my knowledge. I'm not as affiliated with management because I, I just don't deal with a lot of people from management. But um, uh, there was eight or nine of us re referees that, that went out and hired uh, one of the frontline uh, doctor lawyers, wonderful people, wonderful ma man, his name is um, Sheldon Karasik, he, he's representing me and uh, representing all of us. But there was six or seven of them and it ended up 
caving, folding, whatever you want. And I don't, I have such great respect for them. I know why they did it. They, they just, they, they, for financial reasons, or they were just starting their career, or they couldn't afford to stay out. They, for whatever reasons, and they're, they're great people. They, they uh, ended up going and they didn't want to, but they had to take the vaccine. And now they're being forced to take boosters. So Mark and I said, no, we're not, we're not, we're not going to do that. And we're moving forward. And like I said, we have our appeal with the EOC within, when you file an appeal, which we did at the end of October of 2021, the EOC has 180 days to, to hear your appeal. Well, they're so backlogged with all these people now because all the mandates are being dropped and all the EOC mandates are being dropped. A lot of people are filing lawsuits with the EOC. So the backlog is incredible, according to, my, according to Sheldon. And so we're waiting our turn. But they have to give you an answer or be into the process within 180 days. Well, I'm into my fourth month, which means I have less than 60 days left before they'll hear my story. And so you've referred to your religious faith as your objection to the vaccine. Explain that to me and the audience. Why on religious principle, I think you're a Catholic, uh, why on religious principle are you opposed to the vaccine? Well, you know, people don't talk about their religious faith very often until they're put on, a, a, you know, being questioned. I don't really feel like, and I'm going to, of course, I don't, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm very proud to say, you know, you know, God lives in all of us. It's, 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 a, it's a private matter. People shouldn't even have to explain why they're of a Baptist faith or a Muslim faith or a Catholic faith or a Jewish faith. I mean, that, that's, that's personal. But with what's going on now, you're being forced to file a medical or religious exemption and state, you know, basically your religious beliefs. And, um, and the thing that bothers me the most is they take those, those, that piece of paper, whatever you're filing, and they try to find fault with it or they try to turn things around and make something of what you've said political, and therefore they're going to come at you and they're going to deny your exemption because they're saying that you're, you're really filing this exemption more so for political matters than religious matters. And that's the furthest thing from the truth with me. Um, I'm not political at all. I, in fact, I, I don't really have great respect for politics or politicians. Everything is so-called politically correct now. And I hate that term because politically correct 99% of the time doesn't make it correct now, does it? And so, so I, I don't get into that. Um, it's because of my, my, my faith in my Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I mean, what they don't want to talk about is that it's got, it's uh, the mRNA, which I'm a big fan of Dr. Malone. Dr. Malone is the inventor of mRNA. I mean, my wife- One of I, the inventors. One of the inventors, that's correct. <laughs> But my wife and I have done so much research. I mean, I've tried to educate myself so much, Jason, and on all of the what's involved with this so-called vaccine. And, and I will, my, my wife Danielle and I will never take it. The, the, the mRNA that's in this vaccine, whether people want to believe it or not, you know, uh, screws with or, or has effect with your, your own MR, your own RNA or slash DNA. It changes your DNA. It changes who you are as a human being. Well, our Lord Jesus Christ created you. That's, that's you, Jason. That's the way you are. That, the, the, our, our Lord created you. And to, to... McDonald's has changed my DNA, but I'm working on that, but go ahead. Well, McDonald's can't take any, any, any they can't take any credit for creating you. Um, but uh, that's good. That's funny. But this, this vaccine 
is, is shooting mRNA into your system, which is, which is altering your DNA. That's against what every Christian believes in. That's against our faith. This is the way God created us. This is it. This is what I got. I'm not saying I can't uh, uh, fix a, uh, uh, get stitches or I can't repair a knee or something. That's, that, that has nothing to do with your, your DNA, who you are as a human being. And that's what this vaccine is doing to people. And uh, I won't allow that to happen to me. It's got aborted fetal cells, whether it be in the testing stage or in the actual ingredient. I can, I can, that's one of the reasons that the NBA denied my religious exemption because they said that the two out of the three vaccines have aborted fetal cells, one does not. Therefore, Maurer should take that. That's not true. And doing our appeal, we'll gladly have, you know, one of the representatives from that company there saying, yes, it does have aborted fetal cells in it. So, I mean, I don't believe in abortion. not disagreeing with you. I just want to add Please. for the benefit of the audience and the whole uh, misinformation gang. I've yesterday read up this morning, read up uh, trying to get to the bottom of the aborted fetal stuff. I, I read I found a website this morning that, you know, had some information it was from a guy that's saying he's a, a practicing Catholic. Uh, that says that in the testing process, maybe they're using fetuses from 50, 60 years ago and things. But I just want to add that people have a different story. But anyway, I'm not disputing your narrative. I want to understand your thinking and why on religious principle you disagree. So continue. Well, first of all, it doesn't really, and I haven't read that article. I'd love to read it. But it doesn't really matter whether it's, two days ago or 20 years ago that it was an aborted fetal cell, first of all. Let's make that very clear. And second of all, whether it be in testing, and yes, it was used in testing, but it was also used in the ingredients. And I, I don't believe in abortion. So I will, I will know, first of all, I'm also, my wife and I are also very healthy. We're very organic. Everybody that knows me, they make fun of me because of the way I eat on the road and because of the thing. I don't take sugar. I don't take gluten. I don't, no GMOs, no preservatives. And I so, tried to take you to McDonald's yesterday. You refused. <laughs> I would have gone with you. I would have gone with you. <laughs> Probably had a salad. Uh, but, but, uh, so I'm. So when you, we, we probably wouldn't take it just because of the, the healthy standpoint involved with the ingredients in this, this vaccine. However, when you read the ingredients and you see what's in it, um, you know, and again, if someone wants to take the vaccine, Jason, it's okay with me. That's the political thing I want. I want has nothing to do with my decision. If you want to take it, take it. If you believe that's going to make you healthier, then take it. But what bothers me is people that I'm supposed to respect somebody that doesn't take the vaccine, but then they don't want to respect somebody that, I mean, somebody that takes the vaccine, but, but they don't have to respect somebody that doesn't. I don't understand that. That's what's dividing our, our country. And then when you talk about that, now you're getting into p- political. Well, I, I, we can talk about that if you if you'd like, but and I have, I have opinions on that. I'm allowed to have opinions on that. I'm allowed to have opinions about politics. I'm allowed to have opinions on Roe versus Wade. That's, that's, that's why we live in this country. We can all have our own opinions on things. But when it comes time to the vaccine, uh, I have been a Christian my entire life. I am a practicing Catholic. Um, hey, I know what the Pope said. The Pope supposedly endorsed the vaccine. You know, that's one man. There's several cardinals who have also come out and chastised him for doing that. Mentioning- I don't fully understand the Catholic religion, but the Pope has endorsed it, 
but it's not like a full-throated endorsement or it's not he hasn't made it some kind of Catholic law. There's more he could do. It's kind of a half-hearted. That's correct. Am, am I? Yes, you're right. And but but again, any they will take from it what they want. So the media, the public will say, well, the 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 the, the Pope said it's okay to take it, or the Pope said he took it, or the Pope says you should take whatever the Pope says, he supposedly endorsed the vaccine. And that's okay. The Pope doesn't make the decisions for me in my Catholic faith either because my priest or several priests or, or several cardinals have come out and said, I don't understand really so-called blah, 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 his, his feeling. However, we, we are not for this vaccine for the same reasons, of course, that I am. But again, that's all individual. Your, your faith is based on you. It's, it's, it's an individual thing. It's, it's, it's from the soul. It's from the heart. It's what, it's what you believe. And, and with all due respect, Jason, I, I'm not going to criticize you about your faith or vice versa. And, and, I, and I, I have a real difficult time with an employer criticizing a, a, an employee's faith. Who are they? They have no idea if and when I was baptized, if and when I received my first Holy Communion, if and when I was confirmed, they have no idea if I was married in a Catholic church. They have known nothing about my Catholic faith. I, I attend service every, every Sunday, have for the rest of my entire life, my wife and I. When I'm on the road, I go to service. Everybody knows this. I mean, I can go on and on and on and on. I, I, I don't know why I'm supposed to explain to my employer and that, you know, if I have re sincere religious beliefs, you know, that, that's, that's it. And for them to try to knock your religious belief or turn your religious belief around or turn your, you know, what may be a medical exemption around, um, you know, that's their right. They're the, they're the employer. But uh, that's why so many people have lost their jobs. And, and, but what you have to do is you have to fight them. You have to stand up for your rights and you have to... Uh, have to peel it, which is what I'm doing. So during this back and forth beefing with the NBA since September, October about this, uh, there was an arbitration process mm -hmm. that you decided not to participate in. And I believe it's Leroy Richardson mm -hmm. is who's he did participate in the arbitration scenario, but yes, explain your reason why you didn't want to do the arbitration and, and what happened with Leroy. I would love to. Um, the NBA, our union came to us last, whatever, end of the summer, whatever, and said that the NBA is going to mandate all of us taking the vaccine. You have to take the vaccine. And however, for those that don't want to take the vaccine, you can file a religious or medical exemption. And so, and they, they asked, any of those had to be done by such and such a time. And the process that they then that they that then came up with it, if you are denied that religious or medical exemption, you can then have it appealed or have it, you know, have, have it arbitrated. And the arbitration process they set up was that there would be a three person panel. One person would be from our union, a member of our union. And um, I don't know if you wants me mentioning his name, I will, Brent Barnicky, he's a, he's a personal friend of mine, he's a, just a wonderful man, great family man, you know, man of faith, uh, very good referee, just a, just a good guy. And so he was representing, the executive board asked Brent to represent our union. Well then, the NBA had a representative from their side. So they had, I believe, uh, Mr. Mishkin, Jeff Mishkin was the, was the a lawyer from the NBA that represented the NBA. And then a third, which was the important one. Let's 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 be. Come on, let's let's 
let's be honest here, the NBA is going to vote one way and Brent, or our, our union is probably going to vote another way to, to stick up. So it's all going to be dependent on who? The arbitrator. So it was initially brought to our attention that the arbitrator would, would be picked by the two other panel members, which would be the lawyer and Mr. Barnicky. That didn't come out that way. Uh, what the attorney for our union, who was part of setting up this appeal process with the NBA, and the NBA's lawyer picked the arbitrator. By this time, we, referees, had already had our lawyer set up, and we wanted our lawyer to have some input in maybe the arbitrator. He gave one or two suggestions. He wasn't even answered. He wasn't even, he wasn't even given the common courtesy to have, to have his um, you know, request answered. So basically, the lawyer for our union and the NBA's lawyer picked the arbitrator. I don't even know, you know, I mean, it's a, a, a woman from Philadelphia. She's, uh, you know, I would, I would consider her probably to be a, a liberal, and she believes five-year-olds should get the vaccine. So we did not feel, in discussing with our lawyer, that was a very good option. We didn't think that that was going to come out very well. We didn't think that was going to be fair. We didn't think that that was going to turn out real well. So the eight or nine of us that hired our lawyer, Mr. Karasik, to, to represent us, he said, gentlemen, you can do whatever you want, but I'm recommending you do not do that, that you file you know, one sentence, one paragraph saying, I choose not to be a part of that appeal process. Leroy, on the other hand, never came with us. He wanted to stay by himself. He wanted to represent himself. He wanted to have the executive board's legal counsel represent him. So Leroy filed his religious exemption with the union, and his appeal was heard uh, the other day, and he was denied. So in other words, exactly what happened, exactly what our lawyer said was going to happen, happened. And now Leroy has three choices, which was also part of the process if you chose not to take the vaccine. Leroy either takes the vaccine and goes back to work next year, doesn't take the vaccine, and he retires, or he files an appeal with the EOC which is just what I started to do four months ago. Hmm. So I felt that I would get, and I will, I felt that the EOC is, 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 is a fair body. It's a, it's, it's a judicial system that, that basically is, I mean, they, they, they listen to the, 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 the rights of the employee, and we felt our chances were better to, to file it there. And because you're employed in New York, you have to file it with the EOC in New York, in New York which I'm doing. So, um, and, and the thing that was so frustrating is, and uh, you know, I brought some of the documents with me, is, is they, they, they actually admit in the denial letter that they believe Leroy to be a very religious man, and they believe his religious exemption to be sincere, and they believe him to be a man of faith, and they believe him to be so, so on and so forth. And yet they still denied him. And I think it's terrible. And Mr. Barnicky wrote a dissent letter on behalf of the union that was Unbelievable. I called up Brent and I told Brent, I said, wow, I wish I could write like that. I mean, he, Brent used to be a lawyer. Brent was a lawyer for 10 years before he became an NBA referee and just a real, real smart guy. But um, I was just so proud of him because he wrote a letter standing up for Leroy and our board, our, our, our group, just saying this was denied. Basically, they said that, I don't know how to, I, I have it here in front of me, you can read it, but, but basically he, he um, his, his political beliefs basically overshadowed his religious beliefs. Well, Again, I'm allowed to have a, a political belief, but my political beliefs have nothing to do with what I'm doing. It doesn't matter. Whatever my employer tells me to do, you know, as far as a rule or a law or politically, I, I do because I'm employed by them. 
but they're not going to, it has nothing to do with my religious beliefs. Those are my beliefs. Those are how, what I feel. And no one's going to change my, my, my faith in my Lord. No one's going to tell me, you know, how to preach my own faith. No one's going to do that. And so I can have an opinion, as I said earlier, on who I think the prettiest girl in the room is or who, uh, something about who I think is going to win the NBA title or who I think is going to be the next president. I can have opinion. But, but to say that that gets in the way of my religious beliefs is just not true. And it wasn't true with Leroy either. And um, it's a shame he was denied. And it's, uh, I guess, Sheldon, he hasn't been wrong yet. He was right again. And that it's difficult for an, for an arbitrator to, to, to separate their, their opinion from the law. And um, I'm not going to get into the law, but I think that's what was done here. You, you, and I don't know if this makes you political or not, but and it doesn't, but it's just an observation. You sound very similar to, and I, you, you kind of reference it, but you sound similar to the guys up in Canada that are driving these trucks and got their freedom convoy going. Uh, you, you, what do you think about those guys and what they're doing? Well, I, if I was Canadian, I'd be really proud of them right now. In fact, I told my wife the other day, I will never, ever question what a trucker charges me to ship something again in my life. <laughs> whatever he charges, I'm going to pay it, whatever it is. Um, I'm so proud of them. And again, people in Canada are getting it. People have to understand, do you know why those, those truckers are fighting for their entire group? Most of them are vaccinated. And they're fighting for freedom. They're fighting for just if they're... Why are we doing that here? Well, I'd like to ask that question to my union, to, the, to our union, my referees union. Why? If there was 17 or 19 out of 73 referees that didn't want to take the vaccine, why didn't we all stay together and say, I'm sorry, with due respect, NBA, we're not going to take this man. We're not going to take this vaccine. The players didn't have to take it. We certainly wouldn't have had to take it. And then every every referee could have had their choice. There's a woman referee on the staff that that was that was pregnant. And so she didn't want to take the vaccine. So, of course, when you're when you're pregnant, you know, she she was allowed to, you know, she didn't have to work and she just gave birth to a beautiful child. And she's she's a wonderful person, good referee. And she's a young, young referee. And uh, now I don't know what she's going to do. I haven't talked to her. Is she going to come back? Is she going to now take the vaccine? I don't know what she's going to do, but she shouldn't have to make that decision. If she doesn't choose to take the vaccine, she shouldn't. She wants to have other children. She doesn't want to take the vaccine. So I'm. I'm so proud of those truckers, and I think it may be coming in our country too. Um, it would be, I would, I, I would, I would hope it would. But I just—they're standing up for their country. They're standing up for their fellow, their fellow citizens. They're standing up for their fellow truckers, saying, "If you want to take the vaccine, take the vaccine, but it shouldn't be mandated." And we want our freedoms back. And I, I'm, I'm proud of them. What is unique about the NBA referees association? Because I don't believe, and you should know better than I do, but I don't believe the NFL and Major League Baseball umpires, referees in I, the NFL, I they, believe, they're not mandated. I believe I? you're right. I'm not sure about hockey because of Canada. Canada is very restricted. Yep. I, 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 I'm not sure. I, I would never want to tell anything that I, that I know for a fact, but I'm not sure about the hockey referees. I believe they are. But the last I heard, unless they've changed, the Major League Baseball and NFL referees were not mandated to take the vaccine. And again, I, I'm not on the executive board. The executive board does a lot of work behind the scenes with every union, and I don't know what precipitated what and what went on. But it, 
we did not have to take this. We did not have to be mandated to take this vaccine because I, probably a lot of the referees would have chosen to take it. And that's OK. If the referees want to take the vaccine, I think that that's that's perfectly OK. But the 17 or 19 or, you know, the women or the that didn't the, 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 there's a couple of women that didn't want to take it as well. They, we shouldn't have been made to take it. And, and that's what has caused a lot of friction. It's caused a lot of, you know, there's a lot of referees. I mean, they'll never tell this to management because, you know, they're, they're I don't know if scared is the right word, but they just have to, you know, do what their employer tells us. But they, they don't want to be taken and they don't want to take the boosters and they're being forced to. So it's just... Um, tell me this. And, and all the referees, what I'm afraid of, Jason, excuse me for interrupting, is how about all the, how about all the young referees that are coming in? They're going to be coming into the NBA. Now, you know, it, it's common knowledge that, you know, I'm not going to get into the law, but, you know, if, if you're already employed and you terminate somebody due to the vaccine, that person can fight. But, you know, if, if somebody, what about a young referee that wants to come into the league? Are they going to be mandated to take the vaccine forever? So I, uh, I think our union, I wish they would have thought it through and I wish they would have said, you know, we're not only standing up for 17 referees that choose not to, but we're standing up for every other referee from now until kingdom come that that may choose not to take the vaccine in the future. But um, they never asked my opinion. Do you think because it seems like speculation on my part, but my reading of the way the wind's blowing, it seems like the pandemic is over. States are relaxing their mass mandates and other mandates. And so next season, you think that everybody's going to be required to take the boosters? I don't know, Jason. Uh, great question. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm the way it was set up. We had to sign a one year. Con- this is the last of our seven year contract. So we signed it like an addendum, what do you, whatever you want to call it. It's a one year contract. So in September, October, the group, our union is going to be negotiating another contract, whether it be a one year, three year, five year, seven year. I, I don't know. But um, yeah, I don't know what's going to go move, moving forward. If, 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 if I, you know, I, I plan to win my appeal. I mean, I tell my wife and I, we've already won the appeal. We're, we're, we're doing what we feel is right. We believe this is good versus evil. We, we, we really do. And, and we believe we're on the good side. We believe we're on the, on, on the right side. We believe we're on God's side. We, we don't. So I pray to God every night that I, that I, that I win the appeal. But if I don't, you know, I, 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 we're, we're content and we're, we're happy with what we're doing. And we're both proud of what we're doing. I'm proud of what I'm doing. But if I don't win the appeal, I don't, I'm sure that they'll, I don't know what they'll do with me. They'll probably want me to retire. But if I, if I do win the appeal, then I don't know what's going to happen with me or if they're going to mandate it on the new contract or what. Because you're right. I mean, the Supreme Court upheld the, you know, that the mandate was illegal. They upheld that. They, um, you know, OSHA's dropped the mandates. Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, again, do I think a lot of this is political, which I'm not going to get into? We know there's elections coming up in November. And why is everybody dropping this and boom, boom, boom? What's going to happen the month after? Who knows? I, I don't want to even get into that. I just wish we deal just with the, the actual, you know, status of the vaccine and the mandates themselves. But there's always behind the scenes, as you well know more than I do. But um, I don't know what they're going to do. I, I, uh, I don't know if they know, but. I, I didn't I, I was I didn't want to go out this way as a referee of 36 years. I wanted to to referee and go out, you know, the way I wanted to go out, um, you know, but uh, we'll just have to see what happens. Has 
I talked about the media kind of ignoring you and your issue, but do you hear from your peers and colleagues? Do you have you heard from any NBA players like Kenny? What what, what happened? Where'd you go? Um, I've 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 talked with a few colleagues. Um, I think a lot of the referees. Uh, it's out of mind, out of sight, out of mind, whatever that quote, quote is. Um, I think a lot of them think that, uh, you know, I'm the, I, I don't think they think bad guy. They're all good people on the NBA staff. I think they just, they just think, well, you know, he's fighting the league. You know, he's, you know, he's, you know, he's standing up against the league. And, and I, 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 I would hope they would be for my civil liberties and hope they would be, you know, for me. But, you know, a lot of them. Most of them took the vaccine and they probably feel that I'm, you know, he's out there on a ledge. He's by himself. Let him stay there. I, I don't know what they're thinking. But yes. Oh, yeah. I, I hear from referees and um, I get emails every once in a while, you know, and hey, how you doing? Haven't haven't forgotten you. You know, can't wait to see you back out on the floor. Good things like that because they are good people. But for the most part, they're going through a hell of a time. Sixty five or sixty six. The last I heard out of 73 referees have come down with covid and, oh, and, even though they're vaccinated and boosted. boosted. Yeah, they're still getting COVID. Imagine well, that. so many more. <laughs> <laughs> so many more of them have gotten COVID than we did last year when we were testing than ever before. So almost well, not all of them. There are seven or eight that haven't, but they've had to miss games and schedule changes and referees that have been on the road for crazy amounts of times and worked back to backs and worked four out of seven nights or four out of six nights. It's, it's, it's really, t- and, and no fault of the NBA. NBA's scratching around trying to reschedule and cover games. And I understand, but there's four or five people that are, there's four people at home right now that would be working right now if they could. And maybe it wouldn't be so tough on all these other referees, but I'm, I'm sitting home. Have you watched much of the NBA? You know, no, I really haven't. Um, no, I really haven't. I, uh, the reason I ask the question is because, again, when you run out someone ex- as experienced as you, you're having the health problems that people are having and having to miss games. It would have to f- feel like if anybody's watching the game closely, the officiating has to be not as good as I, I am. Um I don't, I, you know, you'll never get me to criticize referee. I know, I know that's not what you're doing, but, but I mean, they're tired. I mean, they, they're on the road constantly. I mean, I could tell you some of the flying from here to here and getting a game change when they get in the city and having to fly here because what they're being asked to do is, is and I know management is very, is very, is very grateful for what they're doing. I, I, I don't, it has to be done, but they're tired. I mean, they couldn't wait for the all-star break. I mean, they couldn't wait for it. But um, so, you know, but me back to your question, you know, I, I love basketball. I, I love my profession. I mean, I've done this for most of my life. So, I mean, I'm I don't have to prove to anybody how much I love basketball or love my profession. But it, it gets a little frustrating when you turn on a game and you and you, you know, you 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 you, you wish you maybe were there and, and, and refereeing or, you know, that that guy's on a back to back. And, he, you know, maybe I could have worked that game and he could go home you know with his family or, you know, you think all these things and then you. You know, you, you know, you, you, yeah, it's, it's just frustrating. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm just like, it's real strange this year for me. And, and um, so I, rather than, you know, turn on a game and I'll turn on a game and then I can't shut it off, you know, cause I'm watching it, but rather than I get frustrated sometimes. So it's just, it's better not to turn it on. Cause then I won't, you know, I'll just, you know, 
I'll watch, uh, I'm going to watch a movie with my wife. What's amazing to me, just as a journalist, you know, there are so many interesting stories, trends, angles to what COVID has done to all of these sports leagues, not just the NBA, but the NFL as well. But it's like we're not allowed to talk about it. No, no one can discuss what COVID has done to these sports leagues other than uh, everybody put a mask on and play the masquerade game. But in, in terms of like the things you're bringing out in terms of it's first time hearing of it, and I follow the sports world really closely that, you know, all of these different referees have contracted COVID, had to miss, they're overworked, they're, they're overstressed, they're tired. This has to be having an impact on the quality of officiating and the quality of the game. No one says a word. And, and it, it, I guess it's a reminder of what a tight grip the leagues have over the media or just how, you know, I'm 54. I've I been doing this for a long time and I've seen this transition we're going through where everybody in the media is actually a partner with the league rather than a watchdog of these leagues. And so someone like you can get pulled upon and our instincts aren't to well, how can I defend Kenny? He's been with the league for 36 years, loyal employee, uh, great. I, I, don't, I don't think you've missed any work for... <laughs> I've, never, I've never missed a game. Yeah, and so our instincts aren't to defend you and to tell your story. Our instincts, or I wouldn't even say instincts, but our, our mission seems to be to just pretend like everything's okay and things with the league are great and to actually protect the institution of the NBA rather than an individual like Ken Maurer. Well, I think that's true. I mean, I, I don't think there's any question about that. And, and I'm, I'm the outlier. I'm, I'm the rebel. I'm the guy that I didn't succumb to their mandate. I didn't, what, I didn't do what they wanted us to do. It would have been easier for everybody had Maurer and Ayat just, just you know, you know, took 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 the vaccine. I, I, I keep, I'm going to keep coming back to it. You know, if you're if you're really sincerely um, at peace with yourself because of your faith and because you you know, the NBA has always been. I've looked back for 43 years and I've I've given up so much. You know, I mean, I, I got married later in life. Uh, I met Danielle late later in life, and I I married her when I was 51 and. Uh, you know, 15, 16 years, now 15 years we've been married. And uh, I used to be on the road constantly. And I, and, I, and I, holidays and all the Christmases you miss and all the, I didn't, I, I wasn't fortunate to have children, but, but, you know, all the guys that miss all of their children's, I mean, you're on the road 25 days a month and you miss your ch children's recital or your, you know, what, whatever, all the, all the kids' things that go on Christmases. And, and before we even had cell phones and computers, guys, you know, it was done on the telephone. You had a pay phone when I first started in the league, you know? And I, I look back at all the, but I, I don't regret any of it. I, I, I loved it. And, I, and I, I'm, I'm proud of what I've done and all the guys that I've worked with and what, what they've done. It's a, it's a great job. It's a, I don't know, I don't know if I'd do it again, but the point I'm trying to make is that there's always been things more important in my life. 
always been. The NBA has not been the most important thing in my life. I think when you have your job or, or, or when you have well, your job, when you have the NBA and that logo is the most important thing in your life, you know, you're, you're, you're empty. There's something wrong with you. There's just, you're, you're not a, you're not a, uh, you know, a person that's, that's, that's a, the, 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 the total package. And, and so I, my faith, that's why I'm extremely content and, and, and happy with what's going on. And whatever he decides for me, I'm perfectly okay with that, Jace. I really am. I'm doing the right thing. I am not going to alter my DNA. I am not going to take something that has a board of fetal cells. I am not going to do what the Lord doesn't. The Lord wants me to do this, and I'm, and I'm very content with it. And I'm not the greatest. I, I wish I was a more religious person. I wish I was better. This has made my faith stronger, and my wife. But my, my faith has always been before the NBA. My, my family has always been before the NBA. My wife has always been before the NBA. My friends. I mean, if, 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 if the NBA is the most important thing, or if your job, if your job, what you're doing right now, is the most important thing in your life, Jason, you got problems. And, and I tell that to, to people. And it's so, um, this is the culmination of a career that I've had, that I've, I've worked with great people and done great, have been a part of some great games. There's certainly referees that are, better than I was. I hope some of the younger referees become better than I am. I know they're going to be. They have to be. I hope they are. Otherwise, they haven't been listening. But, but that's why, you know, it's been, a, it's been, it's been good, but I, a great career, but I just didn't, I, I'm just, I'm real, I'm, I'm still frustrated with the fact that, that, that what's going on right now, I, I don't think it has to be going on right now. I think there was a better way to handle it. And um, uh, for people in general, um, ask, I'm going to ask you a question, Jason. Why do you think the NBA or any employer offers a religious or medical exemption? Well, I would think in 2022, it's a part of a standard or custom that they've kind of inherited and would like to get away from. (laughs) And so I think the religious exemption aspect of it was something that was born of a previous culture we had here in America when we were more of a Judeo-Christian culture and we were more respectful of religious people. We've become so incredibly secular, there's, you know, Christians are are reviled in this country. Right. And, and, And so that's why I think it's easy for the NBA or any, and I don't wanna signal out the NBA, any corporation, to laugh off religious convictions. Get out of here. You know, and again, to accuse the Leroy Richards of these are your political beliefs because they're reflecting their own mindset. They have no religious convictions, so they can't even <laughs> religious convictions. You must be doing this for political reasons because that's what motivates me and everything the NBA does or any other major global corporation. Everything we do is driven by politics. Christianity, religious faith is the last thing we think about. And so, you know, it's reflective of just where our society has gone. And, you know, quite frankly, Ken, I just think it, it speaks to China's influence over America. And, you know, we've seen that play out from Daryl Morey to LeBron James to uh, the, the entire league has been, and when I say that about Daryl Morey, it's just Daryl Morey's comments and how they expose the NBA's relationship with China. And so I, I just, I look at this whole thing and, and I know 
<clears throat> you don't want to talk about uh, the politics, but it, it's, it's very hard to ignore what's going on in American society, who's really influencing American society. I believe it's China. Uh, I, I believe that our corporations have, uh, have far more interest in the 1.4 billion consumers in China than the 330 million consumers we have here in America. And I think that the global elites, just to be quite honest with you, prefer the communist dictatorial style of governance, and they want to bring that here. We're seeing it in Canada. Justin Trudeau, on record, admires China and the way they do things, and he's handling things like he's a Chinese dictator or ruler. Uh, and I think they're trying to incorporate that here into America, and, and our media is complicit in it. Because again, I, I just, the reason I wanted to have you on is because I think you're just a prime example of, we used to value the individual, a hardworking man that was reliable and stayed between the lines and, and just respect. We used to side with that person over the multi-billion dollar corporation. And now the, whole, the media has now got it all reversed. We, we're out protecting the multi-billion dollar corporation and taking a dump on you. It's incredible. Uh, listen, we're gonna continue the conversation with Ken because there's more to unpack. I, I haven't even mentioned it, I should have at the very beginning. Although it has nothing to do with this interview, I just gotta be transparent and say that Ken has a brother who was my offensive coordinator at Ball State University, uh, Mark Maurer. He played quarterback at Nebraska in my first two years playing football at Ball State in the mid-80s, late 80s. He was our offensive coordinator. Uh, Ken comes from one of the most athletic families, I think, perhaps in America. Ken was an all-Big Ten baseball player. His brother was a starting quarterback at Nebraska. Joe Maurer, the baseball star, yep. is your cousin. Uh, your dad was a high school football coach? Or, yep, yep. Uh, for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Your dad did? Yeah, played for Walter Alston. Oh, wow. Yep. Yeah, and so the Mowers, and they, that's a picture of them. They all ref together. I think that's you and your five, you got five brothers? Uh, four uh, brothers. That, that was, a, that was a, we, the five of us had refereed a high school football game. We never announced it or anything, and somebody found out about it. It was at a high school in, in Minnesota. Somebody found out about it, so uh, Randy Shaber, good guy, he's one of the sports people in, in, in television sports people, he found out about it, came out, and he interviewed all this because it was like he had never seen, I think we were all over 55, 58 years old, five brothers refereeing a high school football game. And, and so the other thing I, I want to unpack a little bit is like, why, or not why, but just what's in Ken's DNA? This is not the first time he has stood up <laughs> against Goliath. Goliath the giant, yeah. This is not the first time you've stood up against Goliath. In 2000, uh, there was an NBA-related airline ticket scandal, and uh, a lot of people folded but not Ken. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so we'll, we'll unpack all of that 
and more. And we will we we may continue on talking about how Ken's been run out of the NBA over the vaccine, but we're going to unpack a little bit more of Ken's story so that you can get a full understanding of who Ken is. But before we do all that, I want to tell you about Z-Stack, our daily fight against COVID and my daily pursuit of getting in great shape and staying healthy has led me to our friends over at Z-Stack. Z-Stack was formulated by Dr. Vladimir Zelenko, the world-renowned doctor that President Trump credited with his successful early treatment protocol and his decision to take hydroxychloroquine. Z-Stack is a specially formulated immune-boosting supplement that includes zinc, vitamin C, and vitamin D. Z-Stack is kosher, GMP-certified, and produced right here in the good old USA. Now is the time for you to start taking back control of your health and the health of your family. Go to ZStackLife.com fearless and enter the promo code fearless to get 5% off your first order. That's ZStackLife.com slash fearless. Use the promo code fearless at checkout. This is personal to me, Dr. Zelenko. Uh, when I had Omicron, uh, helped me out, uh, prescribed me what I needed to quickly recover uh, from the Omicron variant. Uh, this Dr. Zelenko is a man of great faith. Uh, you guys, fearless soldiers, you need to make the Z-Stack a part of your regular vitamin supplement regimen uh, so we can stay strong and healthy. I use it every day. Uh, you should do the same and you should support a sponsor who supports what we believe in. All right, when we come back, <clears throat> we'll have more uh, with Ken Maurer. Next! All right, welcome back. Uh, we're gonna continue with our conversation with Ken Maurer, 36 year long NBA referee, uh, associated with the NBA for 43 years, run out of the NBA over its vaccine mandate for uh, NBA referees, not mandated for players. He couldn't do the Kyrie Irving thing. Uh, they've just run him out of the league without telling anybody, without, it's, it's kind of inc incredible to me, but I want to broaden the conversation because there's more to your life that's interesting like anybody else. But also I think there's, your history shows your DNA. When you believe in something, you just won't back down. Nope. Uh, and you had a dispute with the IRS and the government uh, in 2000 over frequent flyer miles, miles. And it's like when I was reading up about the story, I'm like, well, they're talking about $26,000 $26, over three years. That's right. And they came after this guy this hard over $26,000. And so walk us through, what were their allegations about what you were doing with free, and I was, you and some other referees you travel a lot, you get frequent flyers, and they're saying it's unreported income? Yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think the NBA's ever wanted any, too many people to ever talk about this and stuff, and I, I, I think it should be talked about. But, um, yeah, back then, there was many different ways we were paid for airline. Like today, we're given a stipend. We're given X amount of dollars for every assignment we referee. And then we used to book our own travel. Now we have a travel agency booking travel for us. It's a, little, it's a little different the last couple of years because of the pandemic. But back then, 
NBA would book us a ticket, a first-class ticket. Back then, then they changed it and they would give us a ticket. You know, there was different ways that you, you were paid for your airline, which was airline and per diem was always separate from your salary. So back then, I mean, I came up in the league and I was, I was doing the same thing that referees had done since 1946, for the best of my knowledge. You know, we would get a t- an airline ticket. And I, would, um, I was building a house at the time, trying to save every nickel I had. And I had built up a lot of frequent flyer miles because of all the travel that I had had. So the NBA would give us a, 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 I can't remember back then, Jason, if it was a stipend or a dollar amount. Basically, they, a lot of times they'd give us a ticket. It'd be, it'd be a ticket for a, let's say, a first-class ticket or a coach ticket, whatever, depending on, on the amount of, I think, anything over two hours, whatever it was. And I would, a lot of times I would take and I'd downgrade that ticket and I'd go fly another airline. Or I'd downgrade the ticket, take the money, and I'd use my own frequent flyer ticket. That's, that's basically what we all did. And we would save the difference. And I didn't deny anything with my accountant. I told my accountant, I'm using my own earned frequent flyer. Now, how, what is a frequent If you're sitting in 6A and you spent $280 for your ticket, and I'm sitting in 6B and I use a frequent flyer ticket, what's mine worth? Same as you. That's, that, well, that, that's, what my, that's exactly what my account said. And everybody said, well, what's the difference? I mean, okay. so we would allot that amount of money for whatever. And the IRS came in and said, no, 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 that's illegal, that you should have been claiming all that money and that you were doing something illegal. You knew you were doing something illegal. I said, I didn't know. Anything. No, I didn't know I was doing something. And they came after the entire staff. They had two IRS agents, FBA, knock on the door the same morning in everybody's house around the country. And so it was, yeah, and, and, and so a lot of us Most were, guys either paid, took a plea, or, you know, just settled. Oh, uh, 43 out of 45 took a plea. And Steve Javi and I did not. And Steve Javi's trial was first. And, Steve, and I went to it. I was there every day. Steve and I had been hired at the same time. Very good friends. Um, wonderful man. Steve's now a deacon. He took seven years of training, and he's now a deacon and a very, uh, very religious man. Good, good guy. You know, just a solid human being. His wife is one, good people and a very good referee. And um, so Steve um, wouldn't plead either. So him and I would talk all the time. I mean, everybody else pled. And so I was at his trial every day, and um, Steve won. Steve, uh, they didn't feel that uh, he had done anything that was criminally wrong. Well, they waited and they kept my, my trial for last. Mine was the last case, the la- last one over, uh, I can't remember, two or three year period. And uh, so I hired a little lawyer and I, I basically it was the same case as Steve's. Everything was the same. There was no different. Um, Steve's account, I remember, got up in the stance that I had no idea that Steve was doing that. If, I, if he did, I would have advised him to file differently. My account got on the stand and said, I knew exactly what he was doing. I don't think he's done anything wrong. Until you can give us a, a figure on what a frequent flyer ticket is worth, then what has this man done? Tell us what the frequent flyer ticket is worth. We'll alter the, the return. That's fine. And so he testified on, on a court of law. They found me guilty of two years or counts and innocent of one, same three years. I don't think the, the jury, in all fairness to them, ever understood what was going on. So... Um, uh, yeah, they, 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 were, they, you know, of course, everybody wants to put me in jail and all this and that. The NBA stuck behind all of the referees because the ones that had pled, they brought them back to work. Steve naturally went back to work. And then I just I had gotten community service and I had gotten like 
uh, I can't remember what it was called, uh, halfway house or whatever it was called. And, uh, and um, over a two-year period, I didn't miss any time from work. But um, it was, it was a, a, a stressful time. It was a difficult time. But I wasn't, I, I, I could have, you know, I, I could have paid the, I, I was out for an, almost an entire year. And it cost me a lot of money. And I, uh, you know. Could have paid the 26000 no? They would have allowed me to pay the 26000 but they still wanted to make me a felon. So I didn't have an option. So I said, if I owe you money, tell me, if I owe you anything, tell me what I owe you. And all of us said that, all the referees said that. And they, uh, they, uh, <laughs> they didn't want, they wanted to make a name. It was called Operation Slam Dunk. That was what it was called with the, with the government. And, and so they wanted to make a name and this and that. And um, I wouldn't plead guilty. And um, I, uh, I do the same thing again. That's the curse of, again, people can make a name off of you because associated with the NBA, right. on TV, referees, the whole nine, and so. Well, they, had, they had me, the funny thing is, is they had me, um, again, I'm not here to talk about myself personally, but I've never had a drink or a cigarette in my life. I've never had a drug in my life, I've never had a cigarette in my life, I've never had a drink in my life. Guys on the staff make fun of me for that too, but that's okay, they do it in good and fun. My father never drank or smoked, and my father was my hero. So I adored my, I loved my father very much, and all of, all of my brothers did, my sister. And he never drank, and he never smoked. And so we just grew up that way. You know, it's just something we just, we, we, hey, I'd, I'd have a glass of ginger ale, make it look like it was a drink so that I wouldn't offend somebody that might be drinking at the party or something. So never a big deal. And to this day, I don't drink. They had me, I was a drug dealer. Who had you? Oh, the government. I was, a, I lived, I was building, a, a, I built a, a, a big log home in Minnesota, and that's what I was building this during this time. It took me 12 years to build it. Every nickel, and I worked on it constantly throughout a 12-year period. My wife and I are still, she's decorating it and stuff. It's kind of like you know, our dream house. And anyway, so I'm... Um, uh, you have a dream house in Minnesota. Yeah. I didn't know, you're the person. I'd heard that there was a person <laughs> that yes. dreamed of having a home oh. in Minnesota. It's too cold in Minnesota, Oh, you man. got that right. I, well, I, I moved to Florida uh, in 2003. It's the best thing I ever did. Um, I've been homesteaded there. I met my, I met my wife. And, uh, but I, 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 my brothers helped me build this. My father helped me build this. But they had me showing pictures in the, uh, in, in, in the courtroom of here's his home, and he's been money laundering, and he's been a drug dealer, and that's how he could afford this home. That's that's how they portrayed me. That's how they portrayed me in, in the trial. You can ask the guys. The guy, a lot of the guys were there. They came to the trial. And so, you know, um, that was a, a little bit of a crazy time. But um, I do the same thing again. I was proud of Steve. I was I was proud of all of our referees because all our referees, none of them wanted to plead. They didn't they 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 were were scared or whatever. And they we didn't knowingly do anything wrong. They just wanted to. Use us as a, you know, as like I say, and so uh, uh, I do the same thing again. I was proud of Steve. Uh, Steve just had a luckier jury than me, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that, that uh, wow. But I, I try to tell people that the criminal justice system will go after whoever will get them the best headlines, uh, the best stats, or whatever, and it, it, it's you'd be surprised who can be victimized by the IRS or whatever. You know, well, I, I, uh, I don't have a lot of common knowledge of that, but because <laughs> I've been, but, but, but then again, I do. So uh, it, it, it just, I just didn't quite understand it. I, you know, who am I? I'm a, I blow a whistle for a living. I'm really, it's no big deal. I mean, it, to me, and yet they, they think they can use that as, because it had the word NBA on it. And the, you know, the NBA tried to stay as removed from it as they could. And I understood that, but um, it just wasn't good for anybody, you know. Tell us about your family. 
your, your upbringing, your mom and dad, your four brothers, and this great athletic family you come from? Well, I, I remember one time, and I'll never forget this in my whole life because I'm very proud of it. Herb Brooks was a friend of our family. Herb Brooks was from St. Paul. Herb Brooks, the hockey coach. Yes. And I remember one time I, I was... The miracle on ice Yes, coach. yes. Right. He, and, and by the way, if I ever meet Kurt Russell, which I never have, but I would love to see him. I'm not one of these, I can't wait to meet this actor guy. You know, they're human beings just like everybody. I could care less. But, but he has to be told by somebody that actually knew... Mr. Brooks, personally, the job he did. He was unbelievable in that role. His mannerisms, his clothes, and the way, whatever, you know, he just was so good at what he did. I'd love to see him at a game sometime, because I've walked, I've walked right in the stands and said something to people, you know, um, that actor who did uh, the um, sequel to the Rocky movies. What's his name um, recently? Um, good actor. Uh, pardon me? Michael B. Jordan? Yes. Great. Kid. So I, I, he, he had just done the one. i just seen it the night before in, in uh, L.A. So I went over to him. He was, at, he was in courtside. I said, Michael B., I said, Michael B., you were tremendous last night. I'm telling you something. And your girlfriend was unreal, too. I mean, we just sat there and talked to him. I think they do good work. And when they do good work, they should be told they do good work. I could care less. He was, you know, an actor. He's, you know, Kenny G. You know, Howard, nice to meet you. Know, anyway, he was a very nice man. But anyway, um, what I what I, uh, I, I kind of lost about her Brooks. Yeah, what, we're sitting in a we're sitting in a um, in the sauna at the University of Minnesota. He was coaching the University of Minnesota at the time, and I was on a baseball scholarship at the University of Minnesota. Uh, I think I told you Paul Molitor was on our team. Paul's a good friend, of course, and uh, I think uh, Paul Holmgren was playing for Herb at the time. Or anyway, so we're sitting in the, in the and I'm you know I'm wet behind the ears. You know I'm punk kid. I'm, I'm sophomore in college, whatever I was. And I'm sitting there, you know, and I couldn't, there's Herb, you know, with, with all the coaches, you know. And he goes, gentlemen, I want you to know that this young man is part of the greatest athletic family that's ever come out of St. Paul and that ever will come out of St. Paul. I've never forgot that in my whole life. It was because of my father and my uncles and my, and my grandfather. It, believe me, I mean, we all tried you know, to. You told me your dad's resume, your uncle. My, fa- my dad played, uh, played uh, knew Mr. Mike and very well, played in the old ABA. My dad played for the Brooklyn Dodgers when he was 16 years old. Whoa, 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 whoa. You said your dad played basketball too. Is that what you just said? Yes, yes. He played with George Mikan. Played with with the Mikan family. Yes, he played in. An, it was an old ABA league before there was an ABA league. He played. You know, he knew and then Mr. he Mikan. played baseball as well. When he was 16 years old, he was drafted by the Brooklyn Dodgers. And he, in the summer after he'd get out of school at Creighton High School, same school Joe went to, he would hop on a train and go to Brooklyn, New York, and he played. Single, double, he got to triple-A ball. And the reason he didn't make it in the big, he sat in the big leagues, the bench one day with the Brooklyn Dodgers because guess who was the shortstop at that time? Pee Wee Reese. So my dad played for, Walter Alston was his triple-A manager at the time before Walt, Mr. Alston got moved up. So my dad would just tell me stories. He, he had glasses at the time. And he, they always thought that, you know, back then when you had glasses, you couldn't see. So he always felt that that had, you know, sometimes at night he'd have problems. But I'm, ah, couldn't be more proud of, the, of a man. My, my uncles, father. what? My Uncle John was also a scout with the Minnesota Twins, was a Golden Gloves champ boxer, and he was a, a very revered man around the, the, the Twins area. He had, been a, he had been handled their clinics with the Minnesota Twins for like 30 years and a very well known in the, in the Twin Cities. Um, my grandfather had owned a, 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 a sports bar, a bowling alley sports bar back in the 50s and 60s, and my Uncle John and my Uncle Jake used to run that, and all the Yankees would come into town and go to the sports bar, and all the Twins would go to the sports bar, all the all the traveling to mainly baseball teams would come there because it was we, we were known probably they were known probably for a baseball family more than anything my uncle hank was a you know a boxer in the in, in service was was well known and my uncle jake was uh 
That's, that's Joey's grandfather, was also just, you know, high school, college, never really made it to pro ball. My father, I think, was the only one who, I think, made it to, made it to pro ball. But around the St. Paul area just were very well known for sports, and they were all our coaches at the high school and college levels all over this, the different Twin Cities. So your brother Mark played in Nebraska. Any of your other brothers, and you played baseball at Minnesota? Yeah, my brother Brian played college football at, my brother Brian was a, was a high school All-American. He played college football at Mankato State. He was a, a great offensive lineman. My brother Tommy played baseball at River Falls. Mark was the, Mark was probably the best athlete in the family. I mean, Mark was, I mean, I mean, they don't, I mean, Mark, they always talk about Joey being a great, Joey was a great athlete too. Joey could have played, well, he, Duke gave him a Joey scholarship. Joey the baseball player. Yeah, Joe, Duke gave him a scholarship. And then. Uh, what sport? For ba- basketball. Joe Maurer? Oh, Joey was a great the, basketball player. Wasn't he a catcher? Great basketball player. He played bass? He played in the hood. He played uh, in the hood in St. Paul. He used to play with Central. All the, all oh, ask. He uh, asked the Winfields about him, asked uh, uh, Frank White about him. He was, uh, Joey played, he was a great, great basketball player. And then baseball, everyone knows what he did in baseball. In football, he How was. How tall was Joe Mauer? 6'5". Six, five. Six, five so he half. played two guard or small forward? Uh, he was a small forward, yeah. Two guard, small forward. But then he was, re- he was, re- he was recruited by, you know, Florida State in his junior year. And um, after being the quarterback at Creighton High School, he broke every record at Creighton High School. At quarterback. At quarterback. And he, he could have played pro football. That was maybe, well, maybe his best sport. Winky, who is the, he's in the. Isn't Chris Winky. Chris Winky. Well, Joe broke every record Chris Winky ever had. Chris came, is Chris before, Chris was, Chris was, I think, before Joe. And then Joe broke every record he had in his junior year. And so Chris is a great guy, too. Chris was a good baseball player, too and a football player. But Joey was as good as it gets. But when I look at my brother Mark back then, I mean, I don't know that Mark had the, the size that Joe had, but my brother Mark was, he was tougher than hell. And he was just ferocious. He, you couldn't outwork him. He was tough and he was mentally tough. And he, he was good at every sport he played. And, he, and then Mark was also, he was, a, he was a street fighter. I mean, Mark was just, Mark was a little nuts. He was uh, really. Um, I, I could say that now because uh, you know what I think I remember him Mark maybe scrapping with some coaches. Oh yeah, scrapping with people at Nebraska. I mean, he looks at it now as he, Mark's a little bit more mature now, and he, he, he. But I'm proud of him because of the way he handled himself. He didn't back down from anybody, and he uh, he was uh, he was tough. And I almost uh, yesterday invited uh, Rick Mentor was our defensive coordinator. He he went on to be defensive coordinator at Notre Dame head coach at the University of Cincinnati, coached in the NFL. But he and Mark, he was our defense coordinator, and Rick lives here in Nashville. Uh, and Mark was our offensive coordinator. I'm sure Mark And they were both. Tell him. They were both really, really talented. We were blessed to have those guys. But uh, Maurer left. He left pretty quickly. Yeah, he did. He, he was saying that. He, saying, he was trying to remember the years when I was telling him about when you but he, but he like I said, he remembered you. And, and, and I'm, I'm serious. He was just saying, you know, I remember him because of what he brought, not only as a, as, as a good player, but, you know, I, I didn't work directly with him because he was, it was a lineman. But what he brought to the locker room, he used to talk about, you know, it's so important when you have when you have. No, I definitely brought teams. a lot to the locker room. People love me. <laughs> People love me in the locker room. Yeah. I, don't know, I don't know how I should take that, but that's good. Well, it's just, I, I, hate, I hate to say it. No, I think, well, he, me- he meant it as a good thing. No, so, I know. It was a good thing. Very I, positive. I was in a previous life, uh, previous life, my friends would tell you, 
that I was the number one bachelor party thrower in the in the history of America. <laughs> that and so I, I got I got friends that like were like, man, I'm gonna renew my vows. Could you throw me a second bachelor? Party? Oh boy, oh boy, <laughs> just for the bachelor party, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> that was a previous life. I, I don't. Even, well, so, yeah, we've, I, all, I, we've all we've all had them, you know. And that's <laughs> so you, you. That was a that was a previous life. But uh, what are your fondest memory? Thirty six years in the NBA. I mean, you've seen all the NBA. Kareem was probably still in the league yeah. when you when yeah. you first started. Yes, he was. Uh, and then all the way to the day to LeBron James, you, you know, saw the heyday, the golden era up close and personal. What's your fondest memory? You know, I, 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 I don't know really if I have a fondest. I have, I have fond memories. I mean, I think the league has changed. The players have changed. Um, you know, I, I, I did come in when I was fortunate to come in with, you know, the doctor and I came in with Bird and Magic and, you know, I mean, Come on, they, they exude what the NBA is all about, and, and you know the league would be. I agree what they did for the league back then, but 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 Magic was a great guy. He's a, he was a on the floor, he, off the floor. I mean, I just yeah. There's a little bit of a different air today. Although again, even today, a lot of the players in the league they're good they're good people. They're good players. There's there's some you know players that you know we can be maybe difficult to handle at times. I, I don't know them personally and stuff, that many of them, but I mean, you know, how can you, John Stockton, how can you, in fact, I just talked to John the other day, how can you not respect John? I don't think John, you know, we're referees, so we're, we're told to stay away from them. I mean, we're, because of the integrity of the game, and I understand that, you know, not in the same hotel, not in the same planes, just so we don't, you know, the paranoia of people, and you know, if you're associated with somebody, you're gonna give them a call the next day. I understand the way the NBA does that. I, I, I respect that, but, just to be able to go back now, I've become friends with Earl Monroe, who was always my, my favorite player of all time. He was my, you know, and I was able to tell him that. I was saying, you know, you were, you were my favorite player of all time. I, and I have a poster of you hanging on my wall, you know, the, of, of Earl Monroe. And him and Pete were my favorite players. But, you know, you get, you, I was fortunate. Then Michael, I mean, people talk about Michael. And I don't like to compare players. I, I think that that's unfair because um, I heard it explained by Michael one day in an interview where people are different. You know, I mean, what? What would it have been like, you know, back then in that era? How would I have played or how would they? I think they're more athletic today. I think they're faster. They jump higher. They're quicker. I mean, but, but you know, how would have Earl played back then? I don't know. How, do, how would have Kareem played? I don't know. But, you know, I've been fortunate to go to a couple of Hall of Fame dinners in Springfield and been able to meet them, you know, and I was wet behind the ears back then. I mean, come on, I was nothing. I was trying to, trying to get a play right, you know, trying to avoid having to give a technical foul on probably a play I missed. So, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get things right. And now being able to go back at them, and I always introduce myself to them, to them in a way, hi, Kenny Maurer, because I don't want to embarrass anybody because they aren't going to, who the hell are they going to remember me? And to, to a man, every one of them, Muggsy, whoever, Del Crow, they, what are you, Kenny, what are you talking about? I mean, we know, we, there is somewhat of a family there. There, it really is, some, with the, especially with the older players that, you know, you respected, I respected them and they respected us as referees. And I know Michael did. And I know, you know, and just, you know, like I'll, I'll talk about the way we dress. Um, 
I, I love clothes, and that's, that's, that's well known. I, I think it's appropriate to dress appropriately, and I'm not going to get into what people think is appropriate now. That's not my position. But, um, you know, I know there's different, but I mean, what, what, the way Akeem taught me how to dress, or Scotty Pippen, or Michael, or, or uh, you know, I mean, all these, all these guys, that, uh, the Admiral, or, or all these people that, Dikembe Mutombo, the way he dressed, I mean, he was, I sat on a plane with him, and the, we talk about, you know, the way people handle themselves now, and, and the respect that they brought to the league and stuff like that. That's, yeah, what went on the, uh, this weekend, I heard some of the younger people speak. They're right. It's because of the older players. That th- that's the way they're all reaping the rewards today. And uh, there's no question about that. And, and the younger guys that have forgotten that, shame on them. But I think most of the guys get it. I think they really do. So as a person, again, you know, I'm not quite your age. There's 12, 13 years difference. I'm but- 66. I'm going to be 67 in April. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm April as well. You're a Taurus, I hear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but would you not have to, and this is giving the younger guys the benefit of the doubt, that if you dumped the kind of money on Magic and Isaiah and Larry Bird and all the, you know, guys are making 20, 30 million, guys sitting on the bench are making three, four, five, six, eight million dollars a year. Uh, if you dump that kind of money into the NBA in the 80s, don't you think the attitude of the players, because to me, there's such a great, the, the players playing now, making 20, 30 million dollars a year, and the ref who's making 200 to 500 thousand dollars a year, that's a mammoth difference. And it, 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 they're, the players are living this very sheltered, pampered, extra, and not that Magic and those guys weren't, but it ain't like it is today where it's everybody on the team. And so don't you think perhaps that's the difference is that, or at least some of, and maybe not all, but some of the difference, just the amount of money these guys are making. And literally, just like you're saying, the smart ones realize they're making this money not because of what they did, it's because of what someone else did. Well, I, I, you know, I look at what I made back then and what I make, what, what I make now. I don't know, I don't, I, I, I don't know that I'm any different. I look at what, 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 I don't know what they made, it's not important, but what Magic or Michael or whatever made, and Michael probably never made as much as he was worth. But then, that was insane. What's going on now is insane. I don't know what's going to happen 20 years from now. I don't know what insanity that's going to be. Um, they're paid what evidently the market says they're worth. I've never looked at it from even my standpoint for money, but I, I you know, I'm sure... I don't speak for any of these people. Larry would say, I made a lot of money then. And back then, that was a lot of money. I mean, I, you, you go back and, and an actor, whatever he made back then, back then, that was a lot of money compared to now. I just, I, I, I just think the mentality might be a little bit different then as it is now um, with the players and with the people and how they react to the players. I mean, just, you know, I, I, I don't, nowadays, it's definitely a player's league now. It's definitely- yeah, because all the players, virtually all of them, but particularly the top five on each team, basically, they're their own individual corporations. I know. 
because it's not just the money the league pays them. For a LeBron James and a lot of these, Kevin Durant, the shoe companies are paying them far more than even the league. And so there are many corporations who are trying to be movie executives, music executives, TV executives, where, you know, not that Magic and these guys weren't dabbling in a few other things, but their primary focus was just on being a great basketball player. Well, that's right. I, I, that's what I was going to say. And, my, and, and, and I can only speak for myself. And when we go on the floor as referees, we, I could care less what they make. I could care less about, you know, uh, you know the deal that they have pending. Or, or I could care less really what happened the last game other than if it has an effect on the game that I'm going to referee with, if they're playing the same team, the same player, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. But, but I, I just never allowed myself to worry about that when I was young or even now because I, I'm not going to take away the pureness from the game. That, that's, that's, that's the game. And, and I love the game and I love, I love the sport. And I, when all of that gets in, in the way of, of the game, that's when, that's when the problems occur. And the politicalness of what's going on, or the, or the the money, or the politics involved behind whatever, and that's something I never was involved in, never want to be involved in. <coughs> that's not me. But that's that's what that's what hurt, that's what what hurt, what hurt society. I, I'm I want to take a small little break, tell our viewers about Policy Genius. But when we come back, I, not to get overly political, but the politics in the NBA have changed, and I want to talk about that a little bit with you. Uh, but if someone relies on your financial support, whether it's a child, aging parent, or even a business partner, you need life insurance. Having coverage through your job may not be enough. Most people need up to 10 times more to properly provide for their loved ones. That's why you need to see our friends over at Policy Genius. Head over to policygenius.com slash fearless and answer a few questions about yourself. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. You could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. The Policy Genius team works for you, not the insurance companies. They offer unbiased help and they advocate for you at every step of the way. Policy Genius doesn't sell your info to third parties. Since 2014, they've helped over 30 million people get the best possible plan for themselves and their families. Head to policygenius.com fearless to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. More with Ken Maurer. Next. We must exist in a state of man glorious as we are protected by the red, the white, and the blue. But remember, the mind is the key. The fearless soldier pledges to place God first and foremost in his everyday endeavors of life. We, the fearless army, are one nation under God, indivisible with freedom and a belief in the American dream. The men bold enough to join our movement comprise what we like to call the new dream team. We are leaders of our families, our churches, and of this nation. 
We reject the seeds of division that are planted by corporate media misinformation. We affirm that all men are created equal and are endowed with inalienable rights, which are granted by our heavenly Father. We are bound by honor to accept God's challenge, to take the flag and lead, to cherish, to protect, and to nurture the life of our unborn seed. I am a fearless soldier, so shed no tears for me. I am not a victim. I am the man that God made me to be. Amen. All right, welcome back. Uh, our final segment with Ken Meyer. Ken, thank you so much uh, for coming to Nashville. Got to meet your wife. We got to have dinner. Got to have a really long, nice discussion. And just, you know, you guys, the audience, are listening to it right now, hearing Ken talk about his faith. Ken and I talked about it a great deal uh, yesterday, and it made me ask and want to ask again the very obvious question because I think a lot of our worldview is similar, uh, but you're working in the NBA. <laughs> I'm working here at the Blaze. I get to wear my faith on my sleeve. I get to wear my worldview on my sleeves. Uh, in the NBA, the kind of faith you're talking about you have, uh, the NBA seems very secular. Uh, they climbed into bed, particularly during the bubble year, with the Black Lives Matter movement. How did you handle that? How did you feel about that? Well, I think if you are sincere about your faith, I believe everything should run through your belief. How do you treat people? How do you treat your family? How do you treat the guy at work? How do you treat the guy across the street? How do you treat the guy you meet in an airport? If you treat people and think, I try to run it through my Christian beliefs and my faith and, and the way I feel about God and how God treats people. And it's, it sounds corny. And in the business I'm in, it's sometimes talking to people like this sounds corny. I know it doesn't with you. That's why I'm comfortable talking about it. But um, yeah, when it came time to Black Lives Matter, I, I, I think, I, I'm not gonna speak for anybody, but with the NBA and as people, I know people outside of the NBA that would talk to me every day on the streets, they didn't quite understand what I, I, I hope the NBA was trying to say. Because, yeah, I referee in a league where it's predominantly uh, you know, black. I mean, okay, so what? I mean, I'm not gonna get into how I was raised and all that stuff, I'm not gonna get into that. I don't, because I don't have to. I, I, I refuse to get, to get into that discussion. I, I, you know, racism to me is ignorance. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even going to go there. And people that know me know that. But when it came down to Black Lives Matter, referees that I've dealt with my whole life, my friends, people I've grown up with, um, I could really give a hoot and heck whether they're black or white or red or green or whatever. And, and but I... If you're looking at it from your faith, all lives matter. And I know in the NBA, people got, got in trouble for saying that. White people got in trouble for saying that. And I'm not, I, I don't care. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not going to, I refuse to not say that. that. That's wrong. I believe all lives matter, which includes black lives. But Black Lives Matter is a Marxist, communist organization that is evil. 
And it's against everything I believe in. Well, I'm not going to go politically, but religiously. So why would I condone or why would I, you know, popularize that, that, that whole theme? Um, referees in the bubble were asked, I don't really, I wasn't there. I was having surgery on my hip. And um, referees. So you missed the whole bubble thing. I missed the whole bubble. I missed the whole bubble. God was looking out for you. Yes, he was. <laughs> yes, he was. Um, the guys went through hell. I mean, literally. I mean, they, they, what they were asked to do, and they did a hell of a job, and they worked games, and they were away from their families, and everybody, players, everybody in the bubble, they should be commended. And, and the NBA did the best they could. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but, um, you know, they were asked something, something, kneeling before a game. Well, I would never have done that. I will never do that, ever, never. Ever. But why? It wasn't that you were against black lives. You're against Black Lives Matter. The organization, the, 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 the criminal Marxist, commie, whatever. That's, and, and I don't think white folk to this day understand that. I just don't, Jason. They don't. I don't know if black people understand it, to be quite honest with you, because I, I, I've been having this conversation and trying to explain to people like, Hey, man, the people that founded this said they're Marxists. Yes. They wrote on their website they want to disrupt the nuclear family. If you're a Christian. Yes. God put family at the center of your existence and relationship with him. And they're trying to disrupt that. And so. As a Christian. As a Christian. Take off your racial blinders. Quit looking at life as I'm a black person or I'm a white person or I'm trans this, I'm trans. If you're a Christian, your initial thoughts, I'm a Christian. How does God feel about this? Are these principles and things they're advocating consistent with God's vision of life? And if... And if it's a Marxist organization and Marxism and communism go hand in hand and they're hostile to religious faith, you have no choice. And so I really do. I sit there and go, wow, God was looking out for you. You had surgery. If you, and run, if you run everything in your life through that way of thinking really kind of makes it easy, doesn't it? It makes your decisions easy. I'm not saying from 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 looking at it through another person's eyes who then might come back and call you racial and I've always said that 90 not all I never say all but the majority of people who call someone a racist are, are usually racist themselves and 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 I, we there was a referee on our staff that in a meeting said that if you're black you can't be racist I, I don't understand that way of thinking because there's good and bad people in every in every culture and every race. And it was just that was just an idiotic statement. But but I mean, I refuse to get to go down that path. Everything comes through, as you said, through your religious and, 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 and you know, through your God given faith. through your you're allowed to choose whatever faith you want. And if you are truly a Christian and truly a faith bearing man, you would not become involved with. I see I see white people. On, on marches and, and picket and protests with Black Lives Matter movement. They have no idea what it even means. And yet they're marching on this following. I will never be a follower. 
I'll never be the, that follower. I, 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 I want to research enough to find out what's going on with something like the pandemic, with something like Black Lives Matter, with something like, and then I'll make the decisions for myself on, on what I choose to do with my life. And if it's all run through and based on your faith in God, then you know what? It, 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 it makes it easy. I mean, you're going to be criticized, but it makes it easy. Here's what amazes me is that I'll hear people claim to be Christian. Oh, boy. But their reaction to you could be based on, well, how do you feel about Black Lives Matter? And, and it's like, well, hold on, you're a Christian. Right. And you're not asking people, how do you feel about Jesus Christ? And let that be your common ground. Right. Right. And let that be the deciding factor. But if, if a, cause again, this happens to me because I've been an outspoken critic of Black Lives Matter because it contradicts my biblical worldview. And that has nothing to do, I wanna be crystal clear. My worldview is biblical. My actions. We're in biblical times right now. Right, but huge. My actions are sinful because, again, that's why I'm a Christian because I'm trying to combat my sinful nature, and so what what I'm saying is my worldview is biblical, and so my opinions I try, whether I live up to all the things that that I believe or whatever. That's a tough hill to climb. Only one person, Jesus Christ, has ever climbed it without a mistake. The rest of us make plenty of them. But, but I've just been amazed at the people that throw their religious beliefs to the side, and it's, how do you feel about Black Lives Matter? And, and it's been a question asked to me, and I've been criticized because I'm not in support of it. And, and to, watch, you know, to, to watch what went on in the bubble and only have one NBA player, Jonathan Isaac, stand his ground and stand on his faith, you can't tell me there's, I think, 450 NBA players. He can't be the only one claiming to be a Christian. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, it wouldn't have looked good. And that's why they, they put, they put their persona ahead of their Christian faith. And the, it, the reason, let me back up, the reason somebody comes back at you and brings up Black Lives Matters, they're looking for a reason to denounce your faith. They're looking for a reason to poke holes in your Christian faith. That's how they poke holes in religious exemptions. That's what they did to my dear friend Leroy Richardson. That's what they do. They don't want to talk about your religious faith. They don't want to talk about, tell me what makes you, tell me why you think you're, tell me what makes you a religious human being. Instead, they're going to try to bring up politics or bring up something like Black Lives Matter to punch holes. Well, he thinks this, he's got political beliefs, therefore he can't have a religious faith. It's absurd. It's absurd. So, you miss the bubble, but the NBA has uh, come out as, you know, really woke and social justice warrior and pro-Black Lives Matter. Did it have any impact on relationships between referees? Because I think there's 75 or so NBA referees and about half of them are black, uh, how, did, did the NBA's political move promote unity or a division <laughs> within referees? Vision. And they won't like that I said that, and referees will not admit that. There was a call, I can't remember if it was before or right after Black Lives Matter, I can't remember, but 
I mean, after um, um, George Floyd, bubble, after the bubble, oh. there was a we had a conference call and it was the entire NBA staff. Some people from management, some people from the G League, some people from whatever supervisor. I, I, I don't know. There was probably over 150 people on it, whatever. And the title of the call was Black Lives Matter. It was five hours and 26 minutes long. The title of the call. Black Lives Matter. NBA referees. Yes. Because you were going to referee the George Floyd trial or what? I, I, you know what? I, I don't know what Playing precipitated, a critical the, I, role I know what precipitated the call. All I know is it was one of the worst experiences I had ever experienced as a, as, as a professional referee. Because when, when one or two white referees tried to say something that was very, one man said, Gentlemen, I'm with you. I, I, I understand your situation. I don't understand your plight because I'm, I'm not black, but I, I, I've been with you for 30 years, 40 years. I understand, please. However, you can't possibly think what's going on with the rioting and looting in Minneapolis is right. People just blew up on him. I mean, literally, literally blew up. I mean, three or four or five people, I thought they were in their homes. It was on a Zoom. We're probably going through this and just berating this man for his... Because he said, because he said, rioting can't be defended. Can't possibly tell me that you agree with the rioting and the looting that's taken place in Minneapolis. I, 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 I recorded the call, so I mean, it's you know, I mean, you can you can listen to it for yourself. And they just boom. And I, I just so very few white referees said anything on the call. And 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 some of these the black referees on this, they're they're great people. I mean, I'm not. I just I wish you know I I, I wanted. Wasn't time to say anything, but I wanted to say, why this does not help us? This this divides us, and yet and everybody was, you know, filing their laundry, talking about things when they were pulled over and instant individual instances that they had had with policemen. It was it was, I just it was just a, just a session where you could all voice your whatever, and I don't think it helped. Well, I know it did. I mean, they can say whatever they want, they can hide whatever they want, but I know that it's not. It, it didn't help the staff come. To, it, it separated the staff. I, I like to think it's better now. I hope it is. Uh, I haven't been around for a few months now, but I hope it is. I pray that it is. But that just wasn't a good thing. And for them to think that's a good thing to me is. Um, I just I just I just can't believe. Yeah, that. I can't understand why NBA referees, they blow a whistle and call fouls and travelings, yeah. and travelings on NBA games why they have to have a Black Lives Matter meeting. I, I don't... When you, when you, when you, oh, it's, it's, it's been prevalent within the social justice and all that's been very prevalent. And, and, and again, I, I, I refuse to go down that road. I refuse to discuss it. I've, as I've said before, ra- racism is ignorance. I refuse to acknowledge that because it's never, I wasn't raised that way. I'm not going down that road. I'm not even going to talk about it because I... And, and well, then you should be doing more to help other people. We know you're not... Can we do... Well, my actions are going to speak for myself and the way I treat people and the way I treat men and women in general of all color is going to speak for myself. One thing I think a lot of times people have problems understanding, particularly among from athletes and, and particularly athletes of our generation and before that. People actually get involved with athletics as a way of promoting racial equality, racial reconciliation, uh, better racial harmony. That like, that's one of the, you know, obviously you get involved because you're athletic, but when you're a coach, 
a lot of guys look at that as their ministry and their way of promoting diversity or whatever and exposing their kids uh, to people from other walks of life and people that don't look like them and people that come that, that are rural or, or urban or whatever. And, and so the athletes, because again, now I, I, I knew your brother since I was a kid. He was our offensive coordinator. I was an offensive lineman. He played at Nebraska. Uh, people that got involved with athletics because of all the diversity and, and they made friends across racial lines or whatever. And then they get here to 2020, 2021 and 2022. And people are like saying, you guys are the problem. And, and that's where I think people get very defensive. It's like when you spent your whole life in the NBA, 75, 80% black players and there's definitely black people with powerful positions within the NBA. Again, you think of yourself, whether right or wrong, as part of the solution. And then you have outsiders, a group of trained Marxists, lesbians, wagging their finger at you, your race is just because of the color of your skin. I'm pure and I have no racism, no bias because of the color of my skin. And, and I could imagine for someone like yourself, uh, Ken, that Sir. Uh, you know, was actually alive when Dr. King oh boy. was around. Wonderful. And it's like, we've betrayed, I, I thought we were all headed one direction and here out of nowhere with a snap of a finger, they're sending us a whole different direction. It's like, hey, I thought we were embracing our Christianity and we weren't prioritizing skin color. We were prioritizing content of character. And so I get why it's frustrating and can lead to, and, and, and I, don't, I don't understand why, and again, I'm sure it wasn't all of your colleagues, but I just don't understand why people can't see that and can't relate to that. And I could never imagine, just as a man, because these are mostly men, I could not imagine getting on a conference call and bitching and complaining about nobody knows the troubles I've seen. As a man, I just, I couldn't do it. There were people on the call that were complaining. I didn't even know who they were. They were in their second and third league. You're, you're in the league, and they were complaining about, I go, do you know what, what all of us that are veterans had to go through to get, I mean, we're all in a position where we all should be pretty lucky to be even on the call. And, and it's just, yeah, it just, it, evidently somebody thought that that was a cleansing s s seminar. So I, I don't know, but I mean, I, I just, I, I don't, yeah, I, I just disagree with some, I mean, yeah, and I refuse to go down that road, that white privilege. I refuse to go down that road. I'm not, I mean, I, I'm going to lead by example and I'm going to treat people the way I've always treated people. I'm going to be, I'm going to lead the life. I, I just, hopefully by example. And again, if I can help in any other way, but sometimes, again, they try to be politically correct in what they're doing and it's backfired on them a few times. It's backfired and it's going to backfire on them again if they, and people do see it. And there are people both white and black referees that I know didn't agree with some of that or that or that don't agree with. And, and I don't know. 
they're afraid to speak up. They're afraid to say something. And I'm sure there'll be people that'll criticize me, Jason, for me talking to you. And, and do you really, if people don't speak up and say, this has been the greatest experience last night. I mean, this is what we have to do more of. And, 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 and quit talking about all the you owe me somethings. I, I, again, I hope I'm putting it the right way. You speak eloquently better than I do. But I just don't. I just I'm, I refuse to go down that road. I'm not doing it. Well, I'm going to end this topic on this note and then we'll transition into something lighter to wrap up the interview. But, you know, what I would say is, and you know, just me understanding you as an athlete and being involved in athletics your whole life, you could sit here and rattle off your racial resume. I did this, and I was friends with this person, and I helped this kid, and I blopped through athletics. I've done, you could rattle all that off, but, but never do it. Because the, the only legitimate, authentic thing that needs to be said is I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. Everything and, runs through that. And if, if, that, if they can't understand what that means and what that signifies, you'll never get it through to them. It's not, and, worth, it's not worth talking to them, to them and, about and, it. Yeah. And so I just, and being, being a follower of Jesus Christ does not make you perfect. But it, it, when your eyes have been truly open and you start seeing people as Christ followers, Christ creations, it, it just the race thing just becomes less and less important. Right. And it's the people that actually are non-believers. That's why they've prioritized all these other things. Who you having sex with? Uh, what color your skin is? Uh, you know, do you feel like a woman even though you're a man? All these things, rather than seeing themselves as a reflection of God and Jesus Christ and looking for that in other people, they're worried about who, who, who you're banging. And, and, and when you do bang, where do you take it? I mean, it's crazy, it's satanic. And so say, Tim, <laughs> they, they, they can't talk about themselves. That's why they have to make you the bad guy. That's all. I want to end on a lighter note, please, because the craziest thing that we talked about over the past two days. Uh, I want you to guess what I think the craziest thing is you told me. Craziest thing I told you. Uh... It's crazy in my view. Well, there's been probably a few of them, but I mean, I don't think you're going to make... You love Russell Westbrook. You're a huge defender of Russell Westbrook. I, and I'm like, stop it, man. Well, I, I'm not afraid to say... I, I mean, I don't like to talk negatively about players in general because I think players, I don't know them personally, and, and on the floor, hopefully, isn't always a direct reflection of what they are, although oftentimes it is. Um, but I just think, you know, basically, I do the best. I, I think... Early on in my career, I was one of the worst at communicating with players, the worst, because I was hitting and throwing people and probably for plays that I missed and I didn't have a great rapport. And some of the veteran referees sat down and told me, hey, listen, you know what? Listen first, listen first, and then don't be in such a hurry to tell them you're. And so I did that. And so I, I, I gradually and um, I, 
I have a pretty good rapport with players, I think. I mean, I'm sure there's a few that probably would disagree, but I have a damn good rapport with players. And, and I've always thought a lot of him. I've always, I just, I, I mean, hey, I, I'm not here to name a lot of players. I mean, there's, I mean, I, I think Jimmy Butler is a fantastic basketball player. I, I think Steph Curry, look what he did the other night. I mean, there's great players. And I just always, Russell with me and with a lot of the referees, you know, hey, he's, he takes his medicine, and we miss plays on him, and he'll get his technical fouls and, and whatever the case may be, but he's been respectful of my profession and of our profession. And when a, when a player on, from the beginning of time with me is, is respectful of my profession, I give them their due, and, and I've, I've always, I, Russell has always been that way. When you told me that at dinner... It's the truth. That's just the way I feel. It, it shook me up because... Hey. I'm not a fan of, of Westbrook's, but you, you're making me reconsider. I'm telling you, yeah. that guy, I mean, a, a lot of the players, I mean, players that constantly complain at every play, well, they just got to, it's going in, in one ear out the other. I mean, you, you aren't even processing it. But I used to say, that, like, like the Pat Riley's of the world, or the um, John Stockton's of the world, or the, you know, the Allen Houston's of the world. When they said something and complained about something, I didn't have to wait till I got to the tape. I already knew I kicked the heck out of it. I already knew because they didn't say it very often. So I already knew that I missed that play. And nine out of ten times, they were right. But when you get players that constantly say something all the time, I mean, do they really think we're listening? Referees aren't listening. Well, Russell's never been that way. He, he gets plays. He, he's like Shaq. Plays we'd miss on him. And we'd, we'd miss on him because he was so strong. He'd finish. He'd get fouled. And we wouldn't have, we'd miss plays on him. And I'd go back and look at plays, and I'd come, I'd come to him after the game, or, or I mean, I'd come to him after the, in the second half. I missed that play. I kicked that guy out of that play. You, you got fouled. I missed it. And I don't know, I, I like to think he's that way with a lot of referees. I, I would hope he was. And I'm not just trying to signal, signal Russell. There's a lot of players that are in this same mold that they, they they're, uh, you, you they're, told all, me some other they're all men out there. Yeah. They, they, they take their hits and they get up. You told me some others, but the Westbrook thing surprised me. I'm glad you told me that. evidently, maybe you, you think differently, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you told me that. Uh, I, 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 I needed to hear that. I needed someone to shake up my narrative on Russell. Good. The other thing, you refed, did you, see, you ref the 2011, did, were you involved in the Miami Heat Dallas Mavericks series? Is that what? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, I was involved in that. Yeah, I was involved with that. I was also had the people always ask me my favorite game. It's, it's, you know, I mean, I, I worked the game when when Ray hit the shot, you know, against the Spurs. You know, that was a game six. That was always something that I'll remember oh, for man. a lot of, for a lot of reasons, because I was with Joey and Duke and they're both good friends, good referees. And we had a, we had a good time. But but I remember when I was sitting next to Duke, I think, and people after the third quarter were leaving. They were leave, literally, they were walking up the ramps and they were going out the doors. And then when they went out the doors, you know, once it's locked, you can't get back in. And, and you know, we both looked at each other and said, they think this is over. I said, I, I don't know. I don't think this is over yet. And, you know, for whatever reason, uh, it, was a, it was a heck of a game. It was a great game. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure uh, the Spurs think that was one that got away from them. And Whatever the reason was, it was just a heck of a game. But yeah, I think my first finals game, I think, I, I'm trying to remember because I honestly don't keep track of this stuff, but I think was the first one because I remember I worked with Danny Crawford, who's a heck of a referee, heck of a guy, and Jackie Neese, also a guy I respected quite a bit. And that was 2006 when they, I think they beat the Mavericks that year. I think it was, I think it was Miami and the Mavericks in 2006. So um, there's just been a lot, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of good memories and a lot of good, great games. And you refed. 
Michael Jordan's return yes. from his first yes. retirement, correct? Yes. I was at that game as well. I worked that game as well. Yeah, in Indianapolis, yeah. I'll never forget that. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, who in the sport doesn't respect him? I mean, of course. But, but we didn't know he was coming. I mean, that was just another game. I was on the road. I was on a 12-day trip, whatever, you know. We get a call the next night saying, you know, just to give you a heads up, might be a little different tomorrow night. Uh, I get they, Rumor has it Mike is going to play. And that's all they told, told us. Well, you get, you get to the arena an hour, two hours before the game, it was packed. And then you, you walk into the arena an hour before the game, it, the place is already sold out. That was just, that was what Mike brought to the game. It was, just, it was wonderful to see him back. And it was, a, and I, you know, I remember, I, remember, I think they got beat that game, if I remember. I think Indiana beat them that game. But um, it was just, uh, it was something, you know, a young kid like me will always remember. Well, Ken, I know you've heard this before. Uh, you look like the referee version of Pat Riley. Has people have told you that? Yeah, a few times. I told so the Pat, short Pat Riley. Pat, I used gel. I, I used gel before you did, Pat. Let's make sure we understand. <laughs> we kid about that all the time. He, uh, again, a guy that um, on the sidelines, you know, you he says something, you listen because he didn't. He he coached and he didn't. He didn't get on referees, he coached. And I've always had a lot of respect for him. Who doesn't, of course? I still call his wife all the time. He gets mad at me. I still call her Mrs. Riley. Because you got to remember, I met him when I was, you know, when I, and he gets mad. He says, her name, I said, no, her name is Mrs. Riley. And, and she's a very nice lady. I say hi to him all the time when I go in. And he's just, yeah, he, uh, Pat and I, we used to talk, funny thing though, we don't talk about, I love the way he, he's always was a very clean, very sharp dresser, but he likes Bruce Springsteen. And I like Bruce Springsteen. So we would talk about Bruce Springsteen all the time. And be, we'd be on the side and, you know, he'd say, he's in Hartford tonight. Yeah, I know. He's, in, yeah, he's there for three. He's got a three-day. We'd joke about that during the game. And that was something that just we, to this day, always still talk about. We, well, Ken, thank you so much uh, for the time. I've enjoyed it, Jason. Very much. Really appreciate it. Uh, this was interesting. Uh, I'll be rooting for you because you. you could probably – break uh, Joey Crawford and Dick Pavetta's record. I, 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 I think, I think I, they put 38 years in. You know, it, it never was that important for, to me to do that because I, I, didn't, I don't care about that stuff, and I, I don't think Joey and Dick did either. Uh, I don't care. It was brought to my attention that, you know, that a while ago, and yeah, you know, I, I still may do it after I win this, after I win this appeal. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, who knows? Maybe I'll still do it. Thank you for the time. Uh, I hear tomorrow playing. That means we'll see you tomorrow.